everyone. Welcome to episode two of The Business of Brains, the podcast that harnesses the new knowledge about the brain to understand how leaders can create the conditions for their people to thrive, not just survive in organizations. I'm Rita Shah, C-suite coach and founder of The Success Lab, a boutique executive coaching and leadership consultancy based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. With me is Dr. Paul Brown, Professor of Organizational Neuroscience at Monarch Business School in Switzerland. Paul's also visiting professor at Henley Business School in the UK and founder of the ION Partnership. He's written many insightful management books as well as a novel. We now understand that behind rational thought is emotion. If you remember from episode one, the brain sciences are making it clear that human beings make meaning by the way emotion gets attached to experience. In other words, the only way we make sense of the world is by what our emotions and feelings are telling us. So in this second episode of The Business of Brains, we're going to explore emotions and feelings in some depth. In organizations, and I'm sure you're all familiar with this, the tendency is to think of emotions as being something that should be kept under wraps. Being emotional is generally considered undesirable in the workplace and often acts as a euphemism for someone shouting in anger or someone so upset that they're crying. But the fact of the matter is, and one of the great discoveries of the 21st century, is that all our actions are underpinned by emotions and feelings. Let's just sort out what emotions and feelings are, because the words get used interchangeably, but we need to be a bit more precise. And it's beginning to be possible to be a bit more precise about some aspects of human behavior because of the way the brain sciences are explaining it to us in a way that psychology has never managed to do. How it is that human behavior actually occurs. So it seems that we come into the world with eight basic emotions ready to be triggered. And the purpose of the emotions is to give significance to events. So for instance, if a small child is cuddled, is shown love, is stimulated by little games, peekaboo for example, the child is laughing and giggling, what the brain is doing is putting emotion, the feeling of joy into the child's brain as part of that experience. And that creates the state of happiness. Conversely, let's imagine a child who is looking at a parent who's very angry. And that parent is even perhaps about to spank the child and the child is scared, terrified. The face of that parent becomes lodged in the child's brain with the expectation of distress rather than of love. So it is the experience of the emotion that gives significance to the event. In the early part of our lives, we're accumulating a huge store of experience attached to emotions. And bit by bit, we begin to get language. Age two and a half, three, three and a half, four. We begin to have words that can express what's happening to us by seven, eight, nine. We're beginning to have, if we're lucky, a fairly rich vocabulary. But this vocabulary that tells us and other people about our experience is entirely predicated upon the fact that emotion has been attached to the experience. The importance of this for organizations is that everybody comes in every day bringing their particular brain that has been wired, hardwired by the energy that creates meaning and that energy comes from the emotional system in the brain. Hyphenate the word emotion. E hyphen emotion. 
Wonderfully embedded in that word is the idea that energy produces action and it is that energy producing action in the shaping of the brain that makes all our brains individual. We all have different operating systems. And so the fascinating task of management and the special task of a leader is how does one influence all these different operating systems, the people in the organization? How do you get them to tune in in such a way that they're putting their emotional energy, their drive, their self-directed energy, the motivational system, spontaneously geared up towards the strategic and operational goals of the organization? And the answer is, if the leader really understands his or her own emotional system and can use his or her own emotional system productively, the brains of everyone inside the organization will start tuning towards the leader so the leader becomes non-consciously the type of leader that everyone is following, yet they're doing their own part at the same time. Now getting back to these basic emotions that we have, Paul, would you tell us about them? Uh, there is an enormous amount of writing in psychology about emotions, but it's a muddle because every psychologist tends to have a slightly different view as to what it is they're talking about when they use the word emotions. Uh, there is a way of trying to coalesce all that information and get it into eight basic emotions, a bit like the primary colors. If you think of the three primary colors that create the whole of the color palette and every artist who's ever painted has fundamentally used the three primary colors in different pictures and created different pictures, then this is true for human beings, that we are all different because of the way our own particular emotional system created for us a unique patterning of emotions that mix together make feelings. So the eight basic emotions have got three elements to them. On the one hand, there's the emotions that are connected to survival. And then there are the emotions that are connected to thriving. And there's one that's connected to surprise and wondering. So the survive emotions are fear, anger, disgust, shame, and sadness. And though more than one may be working at the same time, it's almost certain that you can separate those out inside your own system. You, could, you know what the difference between sadness and disgust is. And, between disgust and fear and so on. They're very clearly defined. But the thrive emotions are much fuzzier. Uh, we think of them as excitement, joy as a continuum, and trust and love as a continuum. They fade into each other. Excitement, joy, and love, trust. And then there's the one emotion which is, which is surprise. Um, sometimes startle. Um, you tune into this program and there's a bit of you, I wonder what he's going to be talking about, I wonder what Rita is going to be saying. Um, that's a bit of the surprise emotion, just setting you up to see which way. Oh, that was interesting, mm, that was a waste of time. So it's the outcome that tells you where the emotions and the feelings have resolved themselves. That's so vivid, Paul. 
just like the combining of the three primary colors that create the whole of the color palette, it's the combining of the eight basic emotions that create the whole of the feeling system. And so when really good leaders know what's happening in the feeling system of the organization, they know how to drive the organization forward. Actually, it's very often ignored though, because we're not supposed to do emotion at work. But in fact, we're doing it all the time. You know, Paul, as we're talking, emotional intelligence pops to mind. The concept was brought to worldwide attention in the mid-90s by Daniel Goleman. It's certainly taken the management world by storm since, and also fueled a significant psychometric industry. What's your take, Paul? Uh, unfortunately, um, it, it, it's rather degenerated into a question of quantity. Um, how much have you got? There are scales now for measuring emotional intelligence, just as there are scales for measuring cognitive intelligence. And that seems to me to be completely wrong. It's like um, giving your wife or your husband or your partner a questionnaire saying once a week, ah, I need to find out how much you love me. Will you fill in this uh, questionnaire and then I'll have a number and then I shall be happy. Uh, that's what's happening with emotional intelligence. But actually, if it's true, as I'm suggesting that it is, that fundamentally we feel our way through the world and then we make sense of it through our cognitive system, what we need to be doing is helping people tune their experience, to develop their experience, to be able to put words on their experience. So that in fact, we begin to value statements of experience, not just statements of numbers. Uh, we need perhaps to recover a social value, which is about what used to be called aesthetics, the way that we feel about things. And we've rather lost that uh, in Western society. In Eastern cultures, there is much less fascination with numbers, I think, and people appreciate things as they are. In the West, we seem to have lost a lot of that capacity just to enjoy the capacity to express appropriately what we're experiencing. One of the real qualities about what I prefer to call intelligent emotions rather than emotional intelligence. One of the real qualities of intelligent emotions is the capacity to link feeling and thought together in such a way that it's possible to express it. So that then the person receiving whatever it is that's being expressed actually also gets the feeling. Well, one of the very curious things about this whole time of COVID is, is that in, in talking with people much more on Zoom or Skype or on screens, we don't quite get the magic of the feelings coming across. We can see what the person might be feeling. We can perhaps intuit what they might be feeling, but we don't actually get the kind of electromagnetic pulses that happen in real life encounter. Uh, we're not actually quite sure what the energy is that gets transmitted between people, except 
it must be somewhere within the electromagnetic spectrum. But across the screen, it's very difficult to get that. And so uh, what uh, we are beginning to understand in organizations is that not how much emotional intelligence you've got, but how do you actually link experience, emotion, and thought, and then convey it to others? That's what makes the difference. And one excellent example in the public arena is the way the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, communicates, governs, not just in times of crisis, but in general. Please share with us, what are your experiences at your workplace? When have you been aware that things have been jammed up because strong emotions were running but nobody could express them in any useful way? When were things really joyful and flowing? Is that common in your organization? How much difference is there in how you work in those situations? Tell us in the LinkedIn comment box or more privately, the contact form at thesuccesslab.com. We're going to leave it here for today. Until the next time, take care of yourself and especially of your brain. Mm -hmm.